Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. Another Sunday Perspective show as we continue to move through February. Almost most of February is done by the time you all listen to this. And uh, jumping into March, it's, you know, spring is coming up uh, pretty soon. Things are starting to to warm up. We're in the real weird weather time of year where uh, on any given day it could be beautiful. It could be, you know, what feels like springtime weather. And the next day it could be brutally cold, wind, rain, snow, who knows. But uh, interesting time of year. Again, uh, you know, we're kind of, you know, waking up in terms of uh, springtime and hope everybody's doing well. I want to kind of dive into a an interesting, I guess it was an article. It's more like a, a visualization that I saw floating around this week. And it came from Patrick Dubois. And Patrick, for those of you who aren't familiar with the name, Patrick was one of the people probably way back in the 2012, 2013-ish timeframe, really kind of was one of the the, the the original people, along with folks like Andrew Clay Schaefer and a few others, who um, really kind of you know, coined the term DevOps and, you know, kind of got things started like DevOps days, you know, back in the early days of, of some of the automation tools that were um, kind of evolving, uh, Chef and Puppet and Ansible and some of the stuff prior to that, um, but really kind of was was sort of the godfather, if you will, of DevOps. And, you know, if you followed his work over time, you know, DevOps has been an interesting space. It, it sort of, again, it sort of started off as very tooling centric because there was a big push to, to automate, to sysadmin a lot of things, to infrastructure as code a lot of things, um, and kind of, you know, teach people those tools teach people those approaches. Um, and then over time, you know, it kind of evolved to be, okay, people were like, okay, I get it. I know how to automate stuff, whether I do it or not. But, um, you know, my organizations have a hard time doing this and, and it overlaps job titles and it overlaps, you know, who's responsible for this, that, and the other. And so you kind of got into, um, you know, folks like John Willis and, and lots of others kind of got involved. Um, and it, it became more of a, you know, how do you help evolve your organization? And you saw lots of talks about Deming and the Toyota um you know, production system and, and Gene Kim got involved and, um, you know, all those sort of things kind of happen. And, you know, so that movement's been going on for almost a decade now. And I thought it was interesting. Patrick uh, dropped this thing out on Twitter, uh, dropped it into one of his, his uh, websites and all. And it was basically this giant circle. And it, it sort of laid out this dichotomy, this this map, if you will, of, you know, kind of the evolution of all the different jobs that would fall under DevOps. And, you know, Patrick sort of said, look, my definition of DevOps is everything you do to overcome friction created by silos and all the rest of it is just plain engineering, right? So DevOps is really this, you know, this recognition that uh, the way we used to do technology, the way we used to do IT was very silo oriented and it was silo oriented because, uh, you know, you'd hire people that were distinct specialists in distinct areas, right? 
uh, even you know within infrastructure, you had a networking team, you had a storage team, you had sysadmin really kind of managed operating systems and, and servers and compute. Uh, you had teams that did security. Uh, you had teams that um, you know would, would build applications. You had other teams who, who were responsible for you know various things, managing the data center and so on and so forth. And obviously, you know over time that model was fine because those systems weren't designed to change a lot. They were designed to be put in place, uh, to be rolled out to as many people or as many customers, as many applications as, as needed. And then they were intended to sort of be there and be stable, right? They were there to to help, you know, kind of automate things in people's lives, um, you know, make collaboration easier, all that sort of stuff. But they really weren't intended to be, you know, changing that much. And then obviously we've seen with more and more uh, new types of applications getting built, cloud native, microservices, and so forth, that you know, change is is really a feature of these applications, right? They're going to change frequently. Pieces and parts are going to be added and removed, and you know, so so the DevOps piece is really kind of put in place to, to recognize that you know, hey, the old way we used to do stuff, which was very static and siloed, um, is very difficult to adapt to this new model. And so I thought, well, you know, let's sort of dig into that diagram that he had, and we'll try and do that right after the break. Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale. Providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com cloudcast. That's datadog.com cloudcast. Managing secure access to cloud resources is getting more complex, and a misconfiguration can easily turn into a major breach. That's why there's Teleport. Teleport is the easiest, most secure way to access your cloud infrastructure. The open source Teleport Access Plane consolidates everything you need for secure access to your Windows and Linux servers, Kubernetes clusters, databases, and internal applications like AWS Management Console, Jenkins, GitLab, Grafana, and much more. Teleport's unique approach is not only more secure, it also improves developer productivity. Download Teleport today at goteleport.com cloudcast. That's goteleport.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we want to kind of dig into this diagram from Patrick. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to, to speak with him. I think we've had him on the show before. It's been a while. Um, but, you know, Aaron and I have been to a number of DevOps days. I'm sure a lot of you have been to a number of DevOps days. But, you know, for a number of people, this may be your first time sort of digging into this, right? If you're newer to the industry or you're newer to this space, you know, sometimes it's good to have some historical context of, of why we got to where we are, and then maybe we can dive in a little bit as to, you know, why Patrick would feel like he needs to put out this sort of diagram, because essentially what it says is, you know, think, and there's a link to it in the show notes, you can click on the on the show notes and see what it is. But in essence, it's, you know, it's sort of a, a you know, two by two make type of matrix, um, you know, typical x, y axis sort of picture. And, and on one side of it is, you know, the, the cooks, the people that are building applications, you know, application developers, and the things that sort of gravitate more towards application development. So uh, building the application, testing the application, QA, integration, all those sort of things, CI and CD. And then on the right side of the diagram is kind of all the things that need to happen in order for it to go into production, right? So infrastructure and security and scaling and, uh, you know, managing the cloud, managing costs, all those sort of things. 
So you can imagine what the diagram looks like. And what's interesting is what he tries to do then is he, he sort of maps all the different job titles that people tend to have, most common things, onto this thing and, and sort of map out where they go. And what's interesting is sort of at the bottom of the diagram is more your your sort of traditional names and, and words. So test engineer, application developer, sysadmin, security engineer, network engineer, and so on and so forth. And as you sort of gravitate north of the diagram, the top part of the diagram, you start to get into DevOps, DevOps team, FinOps, AI ops, data ops, all the you know DevSecOps, all the you know star ops sort of job titles that have evolved, right? And and even things like you know full stack engineer and other types of stuff that sometimes seems a little bit buzzy uh, in in terms of you know terms, but. I think it's interesting to sort of, you know, kind of have some context of like, why did all these things sort of happen? And then, you know, why would Patrick have to put something like this out? Because, you know, DevOps is a sort of mainstream word these days. We hear about it all the time. Um, You know, but, but, you know, for folks who live in those sort of places and have to talk about this stuff all the time, sometimes either you're frustrated or you're trying to show progress. And so you put something like this together. So let's kind of walk through maybe how we got here and, and why this is a sort of interesting, valuable kind of diagram to be looking at these days. So to me, it all sort of began, and again, somebody will give me a history lesson and say, oh, no, man, it started 10 years earlier. But anyways, to me, it all sort of began at one of the reInvents when, uh, you know, Werner Vogels kind of got up there and he was talking about the way that Amazon, um, you know, created what they do. And again, it was all around, hey, we've created all these sort of disparate services, compute, storage, networking, database, Lambda, whatever it might be. And it was all about, hey, you know, this, this is to enable builders, right? And, and so AWS always used the term builders. Um, and then he sort of made an interesting comment, which is it sticks for some people. It's totally foreign for others. And he said, you know, the way that we do things at Amazon is you build it and you run it, meaning there is no, hey, I built this application and then I just sort of hand it off to some other set of teams and they run it and manage it. It was you build this thing and you're going to run it. And the, the, the connection that he was trying to make there was, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we hear all sorts of anecdotes around this. Uh, an application developer would go, look, my job is to build business logic. It is to, uh, you know, come up with some cool new UI or integrate with something like stuff like security. Uh, not necessarily my problem or making sure this is going to scale. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, but, you know, it's not necessarily my problem, right? And again, the reason for that is division of labor, you know, let people focus on what they do. And what was always really interesting about Werner's statement was kind of the the mindset that went along with the idea of, well, if you have to run this, you're probably going to make certain decisions. Um, You're going to make certain trade-offs. That if you ultimately have to run this and you're going to be responsible for getting paged if it goes down and, and, and monitoring it and so forth, you might make different decisions than you would if you don't really care, if it's really not, quote unquote, your problem. And I think that's, you know, it's been one of the really most foreign concepts that's infiltrated IT over the last decade. But it's also been something that when you talk to people that implement that, oftentimes startups or any sort of you know group that sort of got to start from from Greenfield, you know, they sort of go, well, that's the way we do it. And, and, it, and it sort of builds in a certain amount of discipline to the people building the applications um, to either the way they think about it or the way they collaborate with other people, uh, you know, sort of DevOps over the silos kind of things. Uh, but when you kind of apply those things back to existing applications, existing organizational charts, existing skills, it feels like almost an impossibility. Wait, how in the world 
can an app dev Java developer know anything about SDNs or, you know, load balancers or, you know, certain types of security? Like, how is that possible? And, you know, so again, this has been this sort of conundrum that's been going on in our industry. And again, you know, for a while we, you know, I talked about this on the Shadow IT show, which I think was last week or the week before, right? We, we went through this thing where, you know, folks like Gartner, uh, the analyst firm said, hey, the reality is, you know, there's both types of applications out there. You're going to have to learn to deal with both of them. And they created this concept of sort of, you know, bifurcated IT or, uh, you know, type one and type two. There was all sorts of names that came out, but it was sort of this, this recognition of like, hey, these worlds are really different. And if you really try and apply, you know, one approach to the other or the other approach backwards into you know, another one, you're going to really struggle. And a lot of people push back on that, especially cloud people, because they said, oh, you know, the old stuff doesn't matter. And, you know, if it comes from Gartner, it's, you know, it's dinosaur stuff, right? But I think what we realized is like, you know, there was a lot of validity to it, right? There was a lot of pragmatism to it. The second thing, and I mentioned this before, is, you know, in, in the old days, applications didn't change all that often. I mean, we did have software updates and occasionally you would go, oh, this piece of code, you know, or this functionality of this code is really kind of outdated and something new has come along. We have to, to deal with it. But but that was like a major undertaking. And, you know, we know this because we've seen gigantic projects that have to get modernized and retrofitted and it becomes very, very complicated. People don't have tracked the code. People have left the jobs. But the idea that you were going to be changing the application all the time and then ultimately having to then, you know, live with and manage those changes wasn't part of the calculus, right? And now it's it's very much part of the calculus. So again, this is another scenario in which you know, trying to apply legacy or previous heritage, whatever ways of doing things is almost nearly impossible, right? And and it's and it's kind of why so many people have sometimes looked at DevOps and sort of said, I've heard a lot about it. Maybe we've tried to implement it. Maybe we have a team that's called DevOps within our organization. We've tried to do bits and pieces of maybe we do infrastructure as code for compute, but, you know, the storage team doesn't do it or the network team doesn't do it or, you know, security does what they want, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so oftentimes they've, they've sort of looked at something like DevOps and been like, eh, I don't know how, how successful it's been, right? And it's a hard thing. And, you know, you know it's a hard thing because Gene Kim has not only written one book, but he's written two Phoenix Project books, right? I forget what the second one's called. I apologize to Gene. But, um, you know, the original Phoenix Project book was all about how hard the DevOps was, um, unless you get it all right. And then the second book was sort of a reincarnation of the same Phoenix Project book, um, but just with new technology under the covers. So, you know, we, we've sort of seen this uh, this struggle, right? We, we don't really want to live with the idea that, you know, it is hard to, to do this. And, and then I think the third thing is, you know, as more and more companies have begun using the public cloud, um, you know, we have this level of financial transparency and complexity that, you know, is is now there, right? And and we know this because every month we see a bill and at any given time you can go look at what your costs are and uh, periodically you're going to forget about a resource and you're going to, you know, be shocked or your credit card is going to alarm or whatever it is. Um, and And so, you know, because we now have so much more transparency and because the reminder of how much you're spending on technology comes back to you every month, unlike, you know, in the past, maybe it only came back once a year when you had to renew your your ELA or your software license or whatever, um, you know, there's now a whole set of resources that are part of that challenge and they're trying to optimize it. So we talk about FinOps and, you know, all those types of, 
you know, new jobs that sort of come out star ops, but are around, are we spending money well, right? That job used to be the procurement office and them having annual budgets and multi-year budgets. Well, now we're trying to figure out, you know, how do I have shorter term budgets? How do I, you know, involve folks like, um, you know, like Tim Banks and and others, or the, the you know cost optimization tools like Cloud Zero and others, um, you know, usage and, and things that we have on the show, both as sponsors and guests and other things. You know, how do we, you know, how do we involve those things, right? Because that's a that's a reality, right? Like the cloud is a different way of procuring things, but it's also, you know, it's a different way of thinking about metering and, and how can you take advantage of it? Where is it challenging? All those sort of things. So historically and contextually, we've got all that stuff going on, and. What's really interesting to me, um, you know, as I think about Patrick's thing is one of the conversations I have with a lot of companies is they'll oftentimes, you know, we'll be talking to them about things and the word platform or something will come up. And, you know, it's typically in the context of, hey, this is a platform to help you do something new or better, right? Typically in that vein. And a lot of times they'll sort of come back and they'll go, well, that all sounds great, but, all right, and there's always a but, um, we can't can't manage too many platforms. We already have, we, we need to sort of have standard operating procedure. We can't afford to manage too many things. And, you know, on one hand, I, I kind of understand that, right? Taking on new stuff and the learning curve that goes with it is challenging. But I think the reality is in a lot of cases, um, you know, you're already managing multiple platforms, right? So, you know, you think about a large corporation, a large bank or hospital or whatever, like they're managing everything from still mainframe to, you know, laptops, to, you know, data center stuff, to things in the cloud, oftentimes multiple cloud environments, a bunch of SaaS things. So they're really just sort of saying like, I don't want yet another one. But what they don't really mean is I can't manage something that's different than the way I already do it because they already do that today, right? The real challenge becomes how do you prove to them there's value in taking on this new thing, right? And, but what it also sometimes sort of identifies is that maybe they haven't thought through enough of, you know, am I, am I kind of bringing a tax to any new decisions that we make because we have legacy stuff, right? Like, should we be thinking about, Hey, if something new's coming along, should we really just treat that independently? Right. And, and again, maybe treat it almost like a startup, um, but not have to burden it with the, you know, all the legacy ways of doing stuff. Right. And so I think as I really look at Patrick's diagram, I think he's, He's kind of highlighting a couple of things, right? Number one, um, you know, naming's hard. And so over time, we started with DevOps. We've seen things like DevSecOps. We've seen DataOps, AIOps, FinOps, a whole slew of things. And I think to a certain extent, he's sort of saying, well, the concept of DevOps was sort of hard to wrap your head around, but it also is something that you have wrapped your head around because you've, you've sort of morphed it and adapted it. And and I think that's a good thing, right? I think it's it's sort of this recognition that there are very few things in technology these days that that don't require us to sort of blur the lines of where we were before, right? And that's just sort of the evolution of technology, right? Like we we now can get technology on demand. It doesn't always have to come from one centralized group. We can, you know, experiment with things. We can pay for things in multiple ways, um, you know, the way that we have to think about security when things are changing or change management or whatever it might be, again, they're all about blurring lines. Because um, again, the the original sort of concept of what Werner, Werner said, you build it, you run it, you know, on paper looks like a perfect straight line between A and B. And the reality is there's probably an A, six different A's in between there, five or six different B's and a C and a D, 
Um, and, and so again, all those things in between are lines that we have to figure out. They go back to Patrick's original thing. Everything is friction created by silos. So I think part of the reason he put that out is, is a recognition that, you know, for good or for bad, um, you are, people are grasping the concept he's trying to get across. Is it all DevOps? No, it's all these other things that he will call it. The other thing I think he's trying to get across is, you know, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, that all this sort of title and name explosion has happened and adjacencies have happened. So again, DevSecOps and DevFinOps and FinOps and AIOps and DataOps and you know, security ops or whatever they might be, you know, partially those are in place because people said, well, you know, I'm going to do resume-driven development. It sounds better to be an SRE than it does to be a sysadmin because people are paying for that, right? That's a, that's a buzzword. That's an SEO term that can really kind of help my career. And that's perfectly fine, right? Sometimes it's it's important to take advantage of the situation. Sometimes it's important to sort of, you know, as they say, dress for the job that you want, act like you're in the job that you want, you know, in the future, right? So people will do that. And the other thing I think sometimes it, it becomes problematic um, can be good or bad. We see companies doing this, right? Like companies who, you know, one day you're talking to them and they've got an ops team and the next week you'll be talking to the exact same people and they go, yes, this is the DevOps team. And you go, hmm what changed, right? And you recognize that to a certain extent, they're doing that um, because it, it, you know, you want to seem like you're modern, right? Whether you're there or not, maybe that's the goal and that's okay. Sometimes it's there because they're trying to recruit people and it's easier to recruit newer people, young people, um, you know, better talented people, whatever it might be, to the job that they think they're trying to get to. And and the, the, the job might actually be like, well, hey, we're not DevOps, but we're going to call ourselves DevOps. We need you to help us get there, right? Or whatever ops type of thing. Um, there is some downside to it in that we've seen plenty of teams who call themselves something, um, sort of think they're doing something, um, but they're not. And one of the things I kind of wish hap- would happen um, in this, you know, this is something I, I haven't never really, I have made a big deal about it, but I've had plenty of conversations with people, is this, you know, if you're, if you're an organization, for example, and you say, hey, we now have a DevOps team. And a year into having the DevOps team, you sort of you know, take a real honest look at yourself and you're like, eh, how much progress have we made, right? Are we doing infrastructure as code? Are we able to deploy multiple times a day safely? Are we able to um, you know, implement new things without breaking stuff, right? Do we test in production? Whatever, you know, whatever kind of thing you're trying to get to, you know, are we able to do that? Are we honestly able to do that? And, and one of the things I really wish the industry would have, and this is, you know, once in a while I have a, I have a wish list type of thing, is, you know, lots of folks, whether it's the Dora Group or Chef or Puppet, whoever has done the state of DevOps for the year, and sometimes there's competing ones. But anyways, it's always a similar type of, of methodology. And again, it's, you know, let's ask people how they do things. Let's look at high performers. Let's look at ultra high performers. Let's look at low performers. And I think what happens is what comes out of these things is, again, you have to remember, to a certain extent, they're, they're really good exercises in data collection, right? They're sample size, but they're data collection. Um, but they're also, you know, they're also sort of a marketing vehicle, right? I mean, they're, they're sponsored by the folks who started DevOps Days and do infrastructure as code and so forth. And what happens is we all get enamored with the, the high performers, right? Oh, they deploy so many times a day and they, you know... Uh, they're able to, you know, they have far less bugs and they all these sort of wonderful things. And and on one hand, you have this this sort of stellar high performers and everyone gets excited. And everybody uses their uh, those stats and all their presentations and all sorts of stuff. 
And then, of course, we have low performers. That, that's in the, the chart somewhere. But what we have is in the gap, in the middle, is we don't really have great metrics, great methodology, great measurement things to say, how do I know if I'm making progress? Like, what's, what's the best path to make progress? Like, what's the low-hanging fruit? What's the next ones? If I, if I choose path A and I select, you know, choice A, B, and C, or I select choice C out of that thing, what's the next logical thing, right? Like, what should I expect now that I'm, you know, able to deploy twice a day, right? What should I, you know, think about in terms of, like, how do I measure better security, right? Is it just the number of patches or whatever? And I feel like in between, there's a lot of need for guidance that, you know, between the headlines, high performers, and the feel bad for yourself, low performers, and, oh, your legacy and whatever, there's just not enough guidance in the middle. And I don't know if what Patrick's trying to get at is, you know, trying to lay out a new roadmap for that, um, whether he's just trying to showcase that there's this tremendous amount of bloat around titles and and capabilities. But, you know, I, I think it's sort of all those things mixed into the stew, right? We've, we're a decade plus into this transformation. Um, it's always going to be hard. It's going to be harder if you're trying to constantly mix together the old and the new and let the old have way more sway than the new. Um, you know, I think we see people who are trying to do it, um, but oftentimes they can't figure out if it needs to be a top-down thing or a bottom-up thing or some combination of both. Um, sometimes they get frustrated because, again, we're dealing with, you know, oftentimes engineers and we're asking those engineers who in some cases are, you know, introverted people to become massively extroverted people and, and be great change agents within their organization. Those are those are all hard things to do. So um, I'd be really curious, you know, what people think of, of Patrick's um, diagram. I think it's creates interesting conversation. Um, but I also love to get your feedback on, you know, how are you dealing with, you know, whether you're calling it DevOps or SRE or FinOps or whatever kind of silo busting, blind blurring of lines. How's it going in your organization? Is it something that you you care about? Is it something that you're actively trying to implement? Is it something that you look at and you go, yeah, that's going to make us better? Um, you know, we'll be curious about your feedback on that. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks again for listening to another Sunny Perspective. This has been an interesting topic to dig into and, and sort of have some historical context. And and again, it's a, it's something that we're going to have for a while because, you know, uh, as many people say, there's only some small percentage of applications that have already moved to the cloud, some small percentage of applications that have become, you know, modernized or written as microservices. Um, and until that becomes a much bigger thing and, and these best practices become everyday practices, um, we're all going to, you know, kind of be going through the, the transformation, the journey to figure out which of these ops, star ops, if you will, um, are going to best apply to, to whatever you're working on. So that I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks everybody for telling a friend about the show and helping us grow the community. We're continuing to have uh, really record numbers for the last five or six months. So again, thank you so much. Uh, thanks to everybody who gives us five-star rating on all the places that you listen to your podcast. I've been reading through some of those lately and really nice feedback. And uh, again, everybody who shoots us an email and uh, sends us a DM on Twitter and all the different ways that you can reach out to us and give us feedback. Uh, we really appreciate it. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 